Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. If you feel like your allergies are having a comeback tour and you want relief quickly, you can try Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny, and itchy nose and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm musicologist Nate Sloan. And I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And we are very happy to be joined today by a guest. Do you mind introducing yourself? My name is Mike Posner. Mike Posner is in the studio. Uh, you may know Mike from uh, his his work as a as a performer. Songs like "Cooler Than Me," uh, "I Took a Pill in Ibiza," and you may not know him as a songwriter of tracks like "Boyfriend" by Justin Bieber and "Sugar" by Maroon Five. I think this is going to be fun. We're going to dig into uh, some of Mike's new music, and then, well, we'll see where things take us <laughs> but let's begin let's begin with a little listening let's listen to some of uh mike's new track song about you Tell us just a little about the development of this track. Yeah, sure. I did this one with uh, Dan Wilson and Ricky Reed, cool. who did my album. And yeah, we had a few days in the studio that I was actually a little um, frustrated about because I came to Ricky, who executive produced my album with, yeah. about 50-some-odd songs oh, wow. that I'd been writing the last year or two. And I needed his help picking, finding the album in that mountain of music. Yeah. And and he's really skilled at that suite. We did. We listened to all this music. And uh, he said, we got the songs. And, uh, we, you know, we picked like 10 of them or something. And we so I was thinking we were going to like work on them, record <laughs> them and produce them. And then after that day, he was like, and now we're going to write more songs. I was like, and, <laughs> and I was pissed. I was like, man, I don't know. That's the last thing I need is more songs. But he was like, I always do this just to see if there's anything left. Huh. And but I he hadn't told me that he always does it just to see if anything. I was just in there and I was kind of like, what are we doing, man? Yeah. We need more songs, man. So, anyways, we we worked all day in the studio, Dan, Ricky, and I. We had some some ideas, nothing that really. Um, revealed itself as special to to any of the three of us and and you know it was about maybe five thirty six p m yeah and dan 
the day was like pretty much over. Dan was like, all right, I'm going to leave soon. We're like, yeah, cool. And uh, right when he was about to leave, he picked up one of Ricky's guitars and started playing. And Ricky, I looked at each other like, what's that? Cool. And, he, and, and then Ricky just took his iPhone out and recorded Dan playing the, it was an electric guitar, but he just recorded him playing it live with his iPhone. And then I think he sent that to himself. And then Dan did indeed leave. <laughs> and uh, Ricky made his awesome track out of the the voice note. And then we just started writing to it. And Dan sort of came back. We had a had had like a song to his riff. So the so that Dan riff, came back the next day. Gotcha. Yeah. So that riff was sort of the origin point of the whole Correct. of the whole tune. Correct. Form, lyrics, melody. That all came. That all like sort of accreted as yeah. you worked on it. Yeah. Is there a specific order in which you start to add those elements, or is it? There's no formula, but yeah. I can tell you kind of how it happened with this song. But I'd love with to hear that, that, yeah. that. You know, I would, yeah, I'll just make it real clear. It's definitely not this way for every <laughs> right, song. Right. Not for even sure. close. I've written songs in every every way. Yeah, for this one, yeah, we he started to, you know, those things that I just said happened. And um, I think we had the hook first. And we were, I was really into, like, not rhyming. You know, a lot yeah. of dumb, I didn't like a lot of rhyming yeah. in my career. <laughs> and um, sometimes it gets in the way. You know, I did a book of poetry, and I found in some ways poetry was a lot more real or, like, harder in, like, a... Detroit sort of way it's harder in that I don't mean more difficult I mean it's like grittier because you just say it so we're we're playing around with not rhyming a lot and I think that's really what makes the song dope to me still is when I listen like in the first verse and say since you've been gone ain't got nothing to do I sleep until noon I wake up and feel bad yeah (laughs) that that should rhyme but it doesn't and that's really awesome to me yeah and then and then I think I just went in the booth and uh you know I was just sort of freestyling yeah and that's when I got the I just want to unwind unwind everything that makes me feel confined sometimes i hate sunshine sometimes so i think i think i just like came out i was just like kind of rapping singing yeah let's actually we have that queued up let's listen to that this is sort of i guess a pre-chorus basically yeah yeah Okay, so that's sort of that. That this is all emerging, sort of organically. Yeah, I think we had the yeah. hook. Then I went in the booth, and I was just doing stuff, yeah. freestyling, and I freestyled that amongst I think a, a a bunch of other things, and and Ricky tagged that, marked that, and we and we used it originally for the bridge. I had this long, meandering. <laughs> it was really like a rant. <laughs> <laughs> we used to call it Psycho Michael. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just me like basically complaining. We had that there for months and months and months. And it was months later, we're finishing up the album. I'm like, that rent sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it was a cool idea, but we need a bridge. So we're at like the final 11th hour, you yeah. know. And then I was like, you know what? It was actually like late at night. Usually we work days. I'm a day guy. Um, 
So I like to, you know, start. I actually like to start as early as possible. If I yeah. could find, like, if Ricky would have done, I would have started at 7 a.m. <laughs> Is that hard to find collaborators willing to work? Yeah. Yeah. In L.A. <laughs> in I think I heard in Nashville they start oh, really? earlier. But um, in L.A., yeah, you, typically hours, it's yeah. like 2 p.m. starts, you know, a lot of times. Must be nice. <laughs> it is. Well, yeah. And then people work later. Yeah, for you sure. Know? Of course. Um, yeah, it was late one night. We were finishing the album at this point. We needed a bridge, man. So I was like, <laughs> I was goofing around. And another one of our collaborators, Nate Mercero, who produced a lot of my album, he yeah. works with Ricky. Um, he used to wear these shades and, and leave them on the table. And I stole the shades. I put them on. I was just messing around. I'm like, man, Hollywood Pose is in the building. What up, y'all? You know how I do it. Want to give a shout out to all my homies in Detroit. And everyone's like sort of laughing at me. <laughs> And uh, I was like, man, cue up that bridge. Just hit record. I'll do the rest, man. <laughs> and so you record, and I, I did the bridge. And so I did I did a style that I learned from Wiz Khalifa, which you, you don't write anything down. Uh-huh. I don't think we wrote anything down for this song. Huh. But this way, I, I explicitly got this from Wiz, which was I would get into the booth. I record the first line. Stop. I think of the second line. I go, okay, I'm ready. I record the second line. Stop. I think in the third line, okay, I'm ready, third line, and just, I did the whole verse like yeah. that. You never write anything down. With that kind of intuitive writing style, what do you think we're getting as listeners? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it saves a step, right? It's a little less cerebral, yeah. I presume, and maybe a bit more instinctive. Right. So I'd like to think you're getting something more raw and less thought out. Sure, sure. Which... um is a color you want to have on your palette. Yeah. You know, I don't do everything that way because sure. sometimes I want it to sound like I thought about it, you know, but sometimes not. So in that bridge and not. This whole, whole song kind of is. It's not overly lyrical or pedantic or, you know, not like cool words or imagery. It's like, this is just what it is. Yeah. Mm. This is how I feel. Mm. So I have a lot of thoughts about that, the immediacy and the... I don't know, intimacy, I guess, of what mm-hmm. you're describing. And, you know, what you said earlier, too, about the rhyme scheme. I definitely want to come back to that. Sure. So we're going we're gonna to circle back around. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, let's talk. Let's, I want to get it into more of, like, what gives this song that sense of in-your-face immediacy that it's unfiltered or something. It's a little raw. Like, mm-hmm. th- those, I think we have those qualities in, like, some of the production, the way Ricky Reed's drums are a little... Yeah. crunchy and uh-huh. even staticky but there's also i think it's also happening on like some more scalar levels in terms of the realm of form so i want to dig into the form of the song okay a little bit because i think there's something cool happening here and to me that is really crystallized in the way you structured this song in which the chorus and the verses have the exact same melody <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> And so I wanted to like spend some time on this idea and think about how that generates a kind of a certain kind of power in the song. So first, let's just listen to this. We can hear it from the very top because the song starts with a chorus, mm-hmm. and then it'll it'll move into the first verse. So it's it's a great way to he- you can hear that the melody stays the same even though the lyrics change. Correct. So let's just let's have a listen to that one more time.
now we get the verse with the same melody, new lyrics. This song is far from alone in using this technique of reusing the same melody mm -hmm. for verse and chorus. And again, I think it's like this does a very specific thing. This makes music into something like kind of in, intense, kind of like almost like reciting a, a mantra or something. Mm. You know, there's like this power to it. And I think that might be because it connects us to like older forms of music making religious forms of music making and like folk forms mm. going back to some of the earliest styles you'd hear in america these would be folk songs imported from like the british isles and they would use just the same melody over and over again with different lyrics kind of like a ballad form you know mm. telling a story a very uh, like a hugely popular one uh was this tune called barbary allen which has a million different versions but they'll all follow the same pattern same mm. melody New lyrics. Let's listen to a little bit. All in the merry month of May When the green buds they were swelling Young William Green on his deathbed lay For the love of Barbara Ellen. Same melody, new words. He sent his servant to the town To the place where she was dwelling Saying, Master's sick and he sends for you If your name be Barbrielin What stands out to me hearing this is that in a lot of contemporary music, our verses tend to have simpler melodies so that you can build to a more potent melody mm -hmm. in the hook. Not always, but as a general heuristic. And here, you're getting basically the hook as the verse, just as you're doing in your song. And there's something very hypnotic about it, as, mm -hmm. as you pointed hypnotic, out. Hypnotic, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I was swept away by our voice. Oh I wasn't paying yeah, too that's, much that's about Gene, That's Gene Ritchie singing that song. Incredible. Sounds incredible. And it's, yeah, it connects us also to uh, a lot of religious music, too. I'm thinking of maybe songs like Amazing Grace, which we know, mm -hmm. but we can listen to a cool version of this in Please. a sort of Sacred Harp style. Yeah, it's never too much. Yeah. Amazing Grace, man. <laughs> Well said. Sounds like an accordion. Totally, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then we get same music, new lyrics. reminds me of um the big kanye vocal that uh yeah you can also hear on like i was just listening to it's uh, the bonnie vare yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. It, it, it has that because there's so many singers and it's so tight and almost mechanical 
it has that sort of auto tune with the sub bass sound in it, yeah. except it's a chorus. Whoa. I think, I think they use like a rack where you can play on the mm. keyboard the notes that you want the other voices to sing. Mm. And you can like, you know, there's a million parameters of how right. many you want it to do. And right. This is the analog version of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, exactly. this is this is a, a tradition called sacred harp or, or shaped note singing. And yeah, it's very I like what the word you use, Charlie, hypnotic sort of yeah, it's it's very you can see how it's connected to prayer and sort of getting into some sort of trance state. The same mm-hmm. music over and over again mm. tends to do that. And we can give this old style and kind of old fashioned name strophic form, like strophes. You you mentioned writing poetry earlier. Strophe is just kind of a another word for a stanza. So it's the idea that you repeat the same stanza over and over again, I guess, in terms of music. Cool. So as we move into pop, yeah. I think this idea starts to get translated into you know the language of, of pop music. And where in these old folk and, and religious songs, you just have the same music over and over again, pop music might tend to vary it up a little bit. But we can still hear this, I think, in songs that use the same melody for the verse and the chorus. And a great example is... Prince's I Want to Be Your Lover. going to break it up with a pre-chorus. And now we're at the chorus, but it's the same melody as the verse. Gosh, that's satisfying. (laughs) Yeah. So very, I mean, a very different world than Amazing Grace. And yet I think that technique still holds... It's power. You know, there's something like captivating about hearing the same melody over and over and over again. It's not a flaw of these songs. It's like, it's a strength, right? Correct. Yeah. One of the things with the song about you that stood out for me is the first time I listened through, I went back and I was like, wait, hold on. I got to go find the hook. I was like, wait, okay, I'm like looking for that like big build. Where's, like, where, where's that hook happening? And then I was like, oh, it's all a hook. The hook oh. is all <laughs> around you. It's happening all the time. And it was you kind are of a, in the hook. <laughs> <laughs> Let's listen. This might be overkill. But let's listen. Prince does this also on the song uh, "Let's Go Crazy." We can just check that out real yeah. quick. Never too much Prince either. No, never. No, <laughs> never. <laughs> Don't lie. And then we have a pre-chorus that mixes it up. And then we're back to the same melody, but with the chorus lyrics. Now, Prince is a master at this, but he's not alone. Um, (laughs) There's another really cool example of this from sort of pop of yore in uh, Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. 
Yeah. <laughs> so we'll start. It'll start right on the chorus, and it's going to the verse. But the, the music boss. doesn't change. That man's town. I think this was the second take I read. Oh, really? In his book, I can't remember. Early take. I think they did it. Yeah, I think it was the second take. On the take. Yep. Same melody, right? I think I misspoke earlier. It starts with a verse and then goes to a chorus and then goes to a verse. And while the lyrics change, the music stays the same. And it's so effective, right? Yeah. Part of what works on this one for me is the verses have more syllables. And they're, whereas the, the chorus, when he's finally sings Born in the USA, it's the exact same melody, but he's drawing out mm-hmm. each of the notes. So it, it kind of sounds anew. There is also another factor to this ooh, working. Ooh, yeah. The lyrics have to be good. <laughs> <laughs> and same um, and uh, furthermore, if if you had lyrics you really loved that you wanted to highlight, mm. that might be a reason to do this technique. Um, because mm. when you switch a melody, yeah. the listener's ear goes to the melody. Whereas, you know, like the first example you play, when it's just the same melody yeah. over and over, you can, as a listener, you can zero in on the lyrics and hear them. So if I had something where I'm like, man, these lyrics are hot. I want yeah. people to hear them, which is usually the last thing people hear when they listen. Mm. Usually hear melody, the texture of the song. Mm. And, you know, if they like those things on a third, on a fourth listen, they might get into more lyrics. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, if I had some words that were important to me, I might employ it. I might be more likely to employ mm. this sort of strophic yeah, you, technique. Yeah, yeah. yeah you can't get you can't get away with using the same melody and having an uninspired second verse because you're actually going to have bored somebody as Correct. opposed to, hey, tune in. Correct. Mm. So conversely, if you have some lyrics you're like not really <laughs> that proud of, maybe you sort of cover <laughs> it up with a lot of melodic no, changes. Let's really take the song in a different direction. No, well, we have, a, we have, a, we have um, some album rules. Yeah. Uh, and then like, maybe we're, there were six of them. We'd post them on the wall. One is there's no... No filler lyrics anywhere on the album. Mm. This takes time. Yeah. You know, and, and you being honest with yourself. Mm. Like, I, you said that because it rhymed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know that in your heart. There's none of those moments left on my album. It took months to get rid of all of them. Yeah. But, you know, uh, so that was like rule number one. There's a bunch of other rules, like no roundhouse kicks in the control room. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that, that a, I didn't realize that was a common issue in the music industry. <laughs> It's not common. <laughs> just just my sessions can get a little a little street fighter. Yeah, a little uh, I intense. Love that. Let's let's listen to <laughs> let's listen to one more uh, example of this technique of using the same melody for both verse and chorus. This is uh, in one of the most popular songs of recent vintage. Mm. I won't introduce it. We'll just listen. You're going to hear the chorus. First and then the verse with the same exact music. I love this song so much. Yeah. I heard this, it was like a first listen. I heard it, I was like, I love it. Cool. I'm going to Spotify. Switch my whip, came back in. 
So now we're in the verse, same melody. When a cop car. Dope lyrics. And I think this is, you know, this song is incredibly successful. And I think that's a big part of it. It's just like that word you use, Charlie Hypnotic, keeps on coming back to me. This song puts you in a trance. It's like waving it's a the, big the part pendulum, of it. you know, in big front of your part eyes. Of it. Yeah. The melody itself is amazing. Oh, yeah. And the words are great. Yeah. And they made a smart decision, which is never, don't go away from that mm -hmm. until there's the one part. Where he kind which of, is a pre right right da, 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 and he, and that's timed perfectly it happens right when you would have got bored with the oh. melody and then it brings the melody back right after that sort of pre-chorus section yeah um so yeah and I, I just want to highlight you know the strophic technique does not work without having a melody worth repeating right mm -hmm. you know no doubt and as you mentioned you know those moments of variation that give the listener like a little break yeah and that, they, they timed in the right yeah, way yeah. like with bruce who was verse hook verse hook verse hook and with this is much verse or sorry hook right and verse long on on and pre-chorus and then back mm. to that melody Let's get one little one little breather. yeah you got to figure that out with each song in the studio mm. there's a know? balance to it i like that um okay i want to i want to transition now from from musical form to that conversation we were having earlier about rhyme scheme think about how these two things are related in terms of the song telling you a story let yeah so let's go exact exactly to that place you were talking about mike the the rhyme scheme does not do the things you expect it to do let's listen to the chorus first because this does have a very clear rhyme scheme Put all your stuff in a box in So A, 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 or I should say ooh, 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 <laughs> yeah. right? Very clear. But then we get to verse one and there's this moment where things start to go off the rails a little bit. Since you've been gone, ain't got nothing to do. I sleep until noon, I wake up and feel bad. I think I miss something I never had. Oh, that's uncommon. Yeah. You've carried the rhyme scheme over from the chorus into the verse and then you destroyed it. Yeah. <laughs> that moment of, of bad is like to but me. It's the best moment. Oh, yeah. No, it's, yeah. The, it's the moment where the whole song just kind of like turns and you're like, oh, whoa, this is, this is going in a different direction than I anticipated. And that word bad, you know, it has a lot of meaning. And it's not clever no. at all. <laughs> <laughs> but it's why it's good. It's because yeah. it's the right word. Yeah. It's the right word, but it's not clever, but it's, it's how I felt. So say it. Truth is more important than rhyme, yeah. It's more I always believe this. I don't know why, but I've always believed this. Yeah. I remember this song I wrote in college. This was 10 years ago now. It was about my, my first crush. <laughs> Somewhere I had, the, I had the line like 2000, and I was about the year 2000, yeah. but... I could have said 2004 and it would have rhymed, but I didn't. I just said 2000 because it was true, and so I've always I've just sort of stuck with that ever since. That the truth matters more 
I think. I have, you know? sorry, I just have to, ju- I, this is becoming a very sort of poetic yeah. session here, but I just, when you were saying that, Mike, I thought of this line from Keats, um, from the poem, In Drear Who's Keats? Never heard of him. Oh, John Keats? I'm just joking. No, come on, yeah, come on, this is, <laughs> got a, we got a poet in our midst. I don't know this poem, though. This is the end of the poem. The feel of not to feel it, when there is none to heal it, nor numbed sense to steal it, was never said in rhyme. Ooh. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. Chance had, the Rapper said, um, sometimes the truth don't rhyme. Sometimes the truth don't <laughs> rhyme. Whoa. From Keats to Chance. <laughs> I just, I think that you, know, you were saying that feeling bad is there's nothing clever about the line except when paired with the expectation of where we're going, it becomes extremely clever. Well, talk Thanks. about talk about expectation. Okay, so let's get back into yeah. the the overall the global arc of this of these chorus and verses. So chorus is ooh 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 ooh, right? Verse one is ooh ad ad ooh. So like a b b a. Now let's listen to the second verse. Now is the cold war. Ooh, we'll call first. Try to be productive. That work I just can't. I miss you. And now in this second and final verse, we have a verse where nothing rhymes. It's A, B, C, D. So looking at the arc over the course of the thing, it's like chorus all rhymes, half of the verse, uh, first verse rhymes, and then nothing rhymes in the second verse, mm. which is cool because then it creates this sense of like deterioration almost. And at this point, I think we can acknowledge that it's not like this is a, you know, maybe a... It's like a somewhat bitter song, right? Or it's capturing a certain mood of like angry, yeah, confused and angsty. Yeah, totally. And the yeah. rhyme scheme is like giving you that, even if you don't realize it. It's the rhyme yeah. scheme is is the rhyme scheme is breaking down. I didn't realize over the course it. of the song. <laughs> and it, it's and it decomposing. Works, it works with in this in the second verse where you're having trouble paying attention at work. And the rhymes are breaking down. It's like you're almost like the mind is sort of scattered and it, mm. it connects to the rhyme scheme mm. or lack thereof. You guys are smart. <laughs> we just, we just, thank you. But you just like, it's cool. You know, when you listen to a song over and over and over again, things emerge that you miss the first time. That's one of the things I love about doing the show is like the yep. rewards of repeated close listening. Oh, yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. All right, let's take uh, a quick break read some ads, come right back, and I want to talk about how this song fits into the life cycle of a musician. (laughs) Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. If you have allergies, then I've got a familiar scenario for you. You wake up on a beautiful spring morning and peek outside to get a feel of that nice breeze, but then you start to feel a little tickle in your nostrils. That tickle is the spring air telling you to go be a hermit and avoid the outside because you'll soon be a sniffling, sneezing mess. But don't listen to it. Allergies suck, but a good nasal spray makes all the difference. I personally learned that I suffer from adult onset allergies, and it's a real bummer. But a good allergy med makes all the difference for my ability to go out in the springtime to smell magnolias, my favorite flower. If you also want relief quickly to get back to breathing in the spring air, you can try Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion 
runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. <laughs> I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing because like who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. All right, we're back with Mike Posner. We just broke down some of the musical and lyrical tricks at play in his new track, Song About You. Now I want to step back from uh, this particular song and think about maybe what this song represents in your career. I want to interject one thing. Interject away. They're not tricks in that mm. none of the stuff that you said was thought about. Right. It was all instinctual. Mm-hmm. It's just things that felt right in the studio at the time. So yeah, I just wanted to clarify No, that. I appreciate that. Let's say the 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 mix of intuition calculation improvisation well and then it's really cool hearing how it 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 plays out for you yeah for me but i wasn't sitting there thinking i want to make this rhyme scheme deteriorate over the song i didn't think that but it does do that Mm -hmm. and i was just doing what my gut told me to do i think oftentimes our intuition it knows where to go both because you're a trained songwriter so you have an intuition of where a song needs to feel that does come from having written a lot of songs and oftentimes the first gut feel of where it needs to go is exactly what the listener is also wanting and needing what the song is needing the overthinking it can uh often cause a different kind of de- de- yeah i was gonna say the training maybe can get in the way sometimes sure Huh. You know, you you really want to abandon that with each tune and just address it individually. And and are my only guiding light in this stuff is my gut. Yeah. I mean, for every decision, as far as like how much reverb there is on a vocal, or to, you know, every musical production decision, and you know, the the order of the tracks and the transitions and how long the album should be, if this song should be on the album, it's all gut. This is all I have to go on. And um, yeah, that's all I do go on. Yeah. Yeah. The mind is the enemy, sort of, in this 
in this stuff. It could be another rule on the, <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, if you catch yourself in your mind rationalizing why something is good, it's yeah. not actually good. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing you that. You wouldn't have to work. To, Correct. You're right, right. Correct. Think- and that is just, I mean, look, that's like, I tell people all the time, that is the number one. And I'm sorry if I'm like going off no, on a no. tangent. It's just, I mean, it's simple. It's like, your key to success is just not convincing yourself something is done when it's not or that something is good when it's not. And you just have to, you know, be like a watchdog on your own mind. Do you feel, is that a place that you've gotten to or is that a place that you've always resided? Do you know what I mean? I've gotten more comfortable there. Yeah, I've always been there when I'm alone. Sometimes when I was younger and I worked with other people, I'd be afraid of disappointing them or upsetting them or some you know something like this which is probably why i like working alone but yes i've gotten older and just matured i'm much more comfortable staying there with other people i want to like hey this isn't sorry i know we thought this was done but it is not Mm. you know maybe that word mature is something we can explore for a minute because you know i i I can't i I don't i don't put much stock in in physical appearance but i do have to note mike that you have entered the beard phase of your of your career Man, you'd be happy i wasn't here two weeks ago <laughs> really it was I two had, weeks ago yeah i had i know i just i've trimmed my beard oh, oh yeah i've seen it was like you had like birds living in there yeah and stuff. it yeah. was it was all in yeah but you still got some nice some nice structure have some volume there. yeah some volume totally <laughs> Beard phase. There, I love that. I, this, this to me is like maybe a, a nice metaphor for this sort of maturation that people experience as as artists. You know, like sort of entering a new phase or something, a new level, a new a new moment of creativity. I thought it'd be interesting to step back and think about the beard phase a little bit you know, in a sort of <laughs> macro sense because I think it is interesting. I was thinking about. The song and like it's it's you know role in the the arc of your career, Mike, and and how we do tend to think of musicians as like having these phases, you know, sort of like some early like juvenile period where you're figuring stuff out, some middle period where you like have your real success, and then some late period where you start to explore new ideas and kind of go into something maybe more avant-garde and the composer who i think really set the template for this way of thinking about cycles of creativity was beethoven beethoven <laughs> charlie, <laughs> charlie knows the answer when in doubt the answer is beethoven. wow so you're gonna take us on a ride through some classical yeah. masters but a quick a quick ride yeah short trip um i don't know this is cool <laughs> keep it coming beethoven is like you know we we begin, um, and he sounds very much like a Viennese. He's in Germany. He's in Austria. In Austria, Vienna. yeah. And what year so is he's it? He's born. He's born in Germany. What um, year is it? This is. Uh, we're going to start right at the turn of the nineteenth century, eighteen eighteen oh one. Okay, actually. So this is like. Uh, it's not that long ago. No, no, not that, not that long. Pop ago. music changes in, a, in not very long time. Yeah. No, Mozart. Mozart just died. Like. Yeah, in, at the end of the 17, in the middle of the 1790s. I thought Mozart came after. No, no. Beethoven actually moved to Vienna to, to study with Mozart. Who who came for Mozart? Um, who was his hero? His Mozart's hero was uh, actually 
uh, Johann Christian Bach. That's so what I'm thinking about. Not, not, okay. not Johann Sebastian, but hmm. Johann Sebastian's son, hmm. Johann Christian. Okay. Hasn't made it through time as well. Yeah. <laughs> now, the, now the, the Bach we know in his day was kind of, didn't, he was kind of like rediscovered much later. Gotcha. In the mid 1800s by Felix Mendelssohn, actually. And then everyone's like, oh, now we love oh, the OG Bach, you know? And then they kind of forgot about his son. Dang. So Beethoven, let's, let's check in on him. He sounds, in the beginning of his career, 1801, he still sounds a lot like Mozart, really. We can have a listen. It's very elegant. He studied with Mozart? He was going to, but then Mozart died. He ended up working with Haydn, Franz Joseph Haydn yeah. instead. So, you know, okay. don't feel too bad for him. Okay, so this is early Beethoven. Yeah. How old was he? Beethoven was Ballpark. In... Uh, 17 I think he was born in, let's, I don't want to misquote this but I think he was born in the 1770s so he's probably like in his mid 20s now Yeah, lovely, right? There's a lot that's Beethoven there. The the sequencing of melodies rather than letting melodies sort of play out, but that ending little cadence felt very mm. Mozartian. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and, and that it all starts on this unison chord without any harmonies, yeah. Mm. Um, let's let's jump ahead now to 1809. So we're just going to listen to string, string quartets. So that was the first string quartet. Let's jump ahead to the 10th string quartet now. How old is he? So now he's like hit, approaching 30. Hard. It's like almost falling apart. Now we're in the in the middle period, in the what's sometimes called the heroic period. This is like Beethoven becoming capital B Beethoven, and this is when he writes the Fifth Symphony. Da, 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 da. Is this Beard Phase? Uh, no, no, we're not. It's right before Beard Phase. Very good, Mike. <laughs> pre pre Beard, um, and and we can start to hear. It's like it sounds like his his style. These contrasts of like really loud and then really soft textures, yeah. really slow and then really fast textures. Right? Yeah. Okay, so now we enter beard face. This is the the uh, this this doesn't have a name. This is called the Grossa Fuga. This is known as one of his kind of craziest, most out there pieces from right right before the end of his life. This is beard face. This is beard face. Yeah. <laughs> getting intense this is like it's not as accessible does this mean i'm about to die (laughs) (laughs) no and i had a professor who always who hated that we called it beethoven's late period exactly for that reason he was like beethoven didn't know he was gonna die it's not Mm. like he was like oh now i'm gonna enter my late period but he might have felt older certainly well towards the end of his life he was 
you know, getting sick. But I mean, who knows? He could have had right. more phases. Yeah, right? I he could have had a post beard phase. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So, Twirly mustache no, no. phase. Yeah. <laughs> Which no, happens? I, did, I don't. We shave yeah. beard. I don't want. I don't mean to deny any of our mortality, but I, I think you've got. Yeah, I think you're good. Some productive years ahead. Actually, this is a great point because beard phase is is a metaphor. Anyone can enter beard phase, and beard phase is not the end of your career. Some people means. start in beard phase. Ooh, no. who starts in beard phase? Hmm. Let's ponder that. Iron and wine. <laughs> yeah. Is anyone that they, they seemingly don't need the maturation process? Yeah. They just come oh, out sort of like that's mm, interesting. Going like they just don't. Or care. what about artists who like start in like a more difficult, weird place yeah. and then become more accessible oh, over so, their so, career? Correct. Someone like Saint Vincent, for example, would be, so, would be yeah. perfect. Where like her early music, it's challenging and interesting and great, but out it's not there. hooky, catchy, yeah, and pop radio friendly. Oh, reverse yeah. beard phase. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, I was thinking that Beethoven might have a parallel in contemporary pop music. I can't even. Who's the answer to any other question on this show? Taylor Swift. Yep. <laughs> All right. Let's start in the early phase. This is 16-year-old Taylor Swift doing teardrops on my guitar. Looks at me. I fake a smile so he won't see that I want I mean, it's a great song, but it also, it's like, you can tell it's, or she's still figuring it out, you know? I, or to me, at least. I feel like this is not, you know, the crystallization. Taylor Swift really emerges, I think, uh, on an album like Red. Let's jump ahead to that. Middle phase. Hero? Her- heroic phase. Exactly. <laughs> Hero phase. Heroica. You're going to pass Nate's class. Seriously. Pass? Yeah, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Extra credit. I forgot she did country. Oh yeah. When you played the first song, oh, yeah. I was like, oh yeah. It makes me realize we just did a, a, an episode a little while ago on where country is going, and I feel like country music is catching up to red. Where it's like this blend where it's like kind of country. It's like maybe got one hint of like acoustic guitar, but it's really moving into like there's sweeping EDM stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, the the Max Martin. <laughs> <laughs> so you listen to this and it's like, yeah, this is her sound. She's mastered who she is. And you can hear it in the little asides and the conversationality of the, that the takes lyrics. Confidence. Absolutely. It's like, yeah, that's Taylor Swift. These are the, the smash years, the heroic age. And then beard face. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds a lot like Jesus. Right? Oh, interesting. Right here. Yeah, I guess it kind of does. He was a killer. First time that I saw him. Wonder how many girls he had left and left haunted. But if he's a ghost, then I can be a phantom. Holding him for so now we're in the late phase, the beard phase. It's it's more challenging. It's like difficult. It's not quite as accessible. This is a pattern that I imagine artists will continue to live out again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, in honor of your your beard, Mike, I want to just like quickly celebrate some other great beard phase moments in musical <laughs> history. Okay. And I think the like the classic one is the Beatles, right? You know, yes. they go oh, from yes. the clean cut 
you know, boys in matching suits to the psychedelic, bearded, mustachioed uh, freaks. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's listen to Strawberry Fields forever. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to Strawberry I've got another great beard in uh, Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. You know, think of the Beach Boys again, yep. clean cut, matching striped shirts. And then he goes into his sort of offbeat Charles Manson associated spacey druggy phase. He's associated with Charles Manson? He, he, he hung with Charles a little bit. Yeah. Um, but he also cut a great album in 1977, which go Google it, full on beard. Pacific Ocean Blue. Let's listen to River Song. Wow. Yeah, man. Dope. Yeah, the beard. That's dope. The beard is symbolic, right? The beard represents like acid. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have something you'd like to share with us? What What does the beard represent for you, Mike? Or are we, do is that reading too much into? Uh, no, I mean, I, are we talking about the the beard that we've established in this conversation, or mine? <laughs> Let's talk about yours. Yeah, because there's some overlap, but not right. As, totally, like, totally, to, and. I think it, for me is like um, a proclamation that I don't care about looking or being cool yeah. anymore, which I do care about, but it's like a reminder. Yeah, it's an aspirational proclamation, I guess. Cool. Maybe an affirmation. Hmm. I don't know. You is, probably think of a better word. Than no, me. no, I like that. Is there is and so is see there, what I'm trying to say though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there, and is there a, a musical corollary? Of course. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, people have the beard phase or post heroic phase, whatever yeah. you want to call it, um, because in the heroic phase they experience success, yeah. notoriety, prestige, attention from the opposite sex, attention from the same sex, and. Um, these are the things that are supposed to make their life full and complete. And so often they don't. At least in my case, it, it, it didn't. I, I was the same guy with different circumstances around me. Like that phrase, you know, the, wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. Right? That was it. I felt the same way. My experience of life, well, it didn't really get worse, but it didn't get better. But I was disillusioned by these things that I thought were the end of the road not being the end of the road. Hmm. So the question is, what, where Dave Foster Wallace got in trouble, the question is, if not that, then what? Yeah. Then what is life? If I'm not supposed to keep chasing success, prestige, notoriety, tension from the mm. same sex, tension from the opposite sex, then what do I do? And that's what the beard phase is about, is asking that question and, and like bushwhacking your way <laughs> through existence and figuring out what what really matters if anything really matters mm. cool so that makes me excited to hear more of your music mike I, I can't think of a better note to end on than that except maybe i have one more beard 
and it's and yeah. I don't want to I don't want to subscribe to the notion this is like again like a masculine thing. The beard is a metaphor, right? Correct. But for some artists, maybe it is a literal beard. I'm thinking of Do you know Peaches album no. Father Effer? <laughs> no. Do you know Peaches? Yeah. Okay, let's just listen to Hit me. the song Kick It from Father Effer featuring Iggy Pop. You have to explain yourself. Okay, so the I just everyone right. I forgot we're doing a podcast because <laughs> the the cover of this album is Peaches with a full on like Abraham Lincoln style beard. Dope. So and it's this beautiful reminder I think that everyone can have their beard face. Right on. Thanks for listening to Switched on Pop. Uh, this episode was produced by me, Nate Sloan, and me, Charlie Harding. Huge thanks to Mike Posner for joining us. That was so much fun. Uh, anything you want to plug, Mike? Any shows, records, etc.? Nah. Great. <laughs> Our uh, engineering and editing is done by Bill Lance. Our community manager is Sarah Terry and designed by Luke Harris. Check out more episodes, switchedonpop.com. Uh, you can find us on Radio Public, uh, Apple Podcast App, Spotify, anywhere else you get that stuff. And send us notes on Instagram and on Twitter at switchedonpop. We love to hear your thoughts about music. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. One final shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. You know what's a terrible question? What's your favorite part of having nasal allergies? I don't know. Absolutely nothing. Luckily, you might be able to find some relief with Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's astaproallergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies.